Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Happy uh, Christmas and almost New Year to you. Yes. 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 Happy. Happy to you, Dan. How are you? I'm doing doing pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. We were just chatting back and forth on the robot. Yes. About topics for this last last episode of the year. It's weird. I think we got stuff to talk about. I think we do. Yeah. A return, if you will, to when the show used to to help people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, one of these days, one of these days, I'm going to have a thought on that. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, um, yeah, it's nice to be here. Good morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you know, um, I think they're all good. They're all, they're all 202 special children. Mm-hmm. Very, very special children, each of which has their own needs. Uh, Showbot's not doing the thing. I know, I'm the, working the, on it right now. Yeah, you gotta do all this manual now. You gotta, did you try, uh, gracefully restarting the web brick? I did, uh, and, uh, that didn't do it. And there's uh, another thing. The, the guy who set this up for me, I told him about it, and he says, I've got it on my list of things to do. And so I'm still trying to figure out, you know, the issues. I have so many things on my list of things to do. It's, um, it's it's really vast. I know it can be hard to get get things. You know the list. It's it's because it's a stack. There now it's awake. Hmm. Nice. How you doing? You know it's a it's warmer than I thought it was going to be. I've got an, an, a long sleeve undershirt. I've got a uh, light flannel uh, shirt, and then I had a sweater on. And now I feel it's like too warm for the sweater in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds handsome. No, I mean I look I look amazing, but it's you know the price I pay for it is. Yeah, mm. constant vigilance. Yeah, that's right. That's what Jefferson said. Yeah, yeah. I um, <clears throat> it's cold here today. It's in the forties. Oh, that is cold for you guys. Yeah, yeah. It's like ten degrees. Ten degrees colder than usual. Yeah, the city it gets raining. cold. People think of San Francisco as is bright. It's sunny. You know, I but think it, it, it got in the thirties once. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now it's funny. I was listening to um, apropos of nothing. I uh, I rewatched uh, Die Hard. Yesterday, that's a Christmas movie. Uh, oh my god! I I said this on on the Twitter yesterday, but like I remember loving that movie. But it's even better than I remember. It's the first really, one. You're talking about the first one. Yeah, yeah the the original the original Gruber. It's uh it's really really good. But uh, then I went and I was listening to um, a podcast they do on I'm More called Review, and it's what Don Melton Melton. Yes, the Don Melton. <laughs> He's got a Jerry Lewis name, and um, and Guy English, and uh, Guy Ritchie, and Guy Fox. Um, uh, anyway, and uh, they they were talking about Die Hard on there, and man, there's so much, there's so much in that movie, so so much that I, I was not aware of. It was very interesting. What was my point? You mean like as, an, as an adult? Um, a lot of stuff I didn't catch. I mean, you know, it's 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 got its cheesy moments, but. Man, that, that movie really changed action movies. What was my point? I had a point about this. Made, uh, made Bruce Willis what he is today, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. You want to wear shoes, that's for sure. Um, what was Finst- my Finster. point? Finster. What's that? I think you're thinking of, uh, of, uh, of Adam's family. Yeah. <clears throat> Uncle Finster. Uncle Finster <laughs> and, uh, and Cousin Thing. Yeah. Ben Grimm. Yes. Yeah, you got the, the Big Old Road Boys. Is that what they're called? Um... Hmm. 
Boy, I feel kind of out of it, Dan. I need to, I need to snap out of it. This is important. This is a, an important end of the year episode. Well, you've been on you've been on vacation a lot, taking mm-hmm. some personal time, which yeah. is always a boon for the athletics of the mind. Mm. It's a different kind of exercise. Mm-hmm. It's like the same music. The rests are as important as the notes. So, Daddy's not coming home tonight. Ooh. No, gonna stay, no. You're going to you're going to stay in the city tonight. We had a uh, we had a fun Christmas. I had one breakout. Did you have any breakout presents? Um, I mean, no. here's what I'm interested in. Like, there's the banger. You know there's going to be the big banger that's going to be a hit. Yeah. We knew that the American Girl style, style horse was going to be a hit. Oh. But, uh, you know, we had one really interesting breakout present that I'm really glad we got. May I share it? Oh, yeah, of course. I want you to think about yours. All right. Um, the, uh, it's in the show notes. The Elenco Electronic Snap Circuits Junior Kit. Maybe the best twenty bucks I've ever spent. Really? It was really inexpensive, and it's one of these. It's in the notes. It's um, it's one of those little things where you snap together little pieces and make very simple little circuits. So you know, it's it's not like the ones when I was a kid that were really complicated and you could burn yourself. Uh, but with this one, you can do stuff like make. You have a simple you know slider on off switch you can put in the circuit. You have a little electric motor that can shoot a helicopter thing up in the air. Um, you can have it you know voice activated where if you clap you know like if you clap something happens and it's really fun it and it doesn't break it's it's pretty i mean you know we've only had it for a week but uh did you see it did you see what it looks I'm like i'm looking at it right now it it actually is the number one bestseller in physics science kits on amazon with 2300 uh, 2036 customer reviews five stars that says a lot yeah i, I kind of sort well on you know on the one hand i kind of wish i'd gotten the bigger one but for the, for twenty bucks, that's a pretty good deal, and it's it's pretty grokkable. It was really neat. And the very first thing she did, see, her mind is completely different from mine. My my daughter, where like I am always, I don't love this about myself, but I'm a read the instructions guy. Like I, I like to like even if it's Lego, I like to like look through the book, see what the order of things is going to be. That's the kind of brain I've got. But you know what she did? She sat down and just without even following the instructions or putting them on in, in the right order, she recreated exactly the set that was on the lid just from looking at yeah, the lid. Yeah, right. So not everything worked, but uh, she but was it really looked, with it. it looked good. It worked, though. It shut the helicopter in the air. That's all she did for two days. It was really fun. <laughs> is that what that little thing is? That's a helicopter? Yeah, when the, when the power, when you flip it on, the power goes through it, that thing spins around. Oh, cool. And then if you take off the contact, it flies up in the air. Do you know, like when you're shopping for stuff, do you have an idea ahead of time? Like, oh, she's going to love this. And then you get it and you're right. Yeah. Because I never know. I never know. Well, I knew the Lego creator kit was going to be a hit. My wife did some really bang up Santa work on a few things uh, that we knew she wanted. But that one, you know, like I said, whatever last episode, the Karma Suck episode about the holidays, you know, I'm trying to get away from like, just partly for a cost is just, you know, I think there's a certain... You know, you ever rent, like, uh, you get a U-Haul truck and you wonder why it won't go over 60 miles an hour? And it's because it has what's called a governor. There's a thing, at least back in the day, you couldn't get a U-Haul truck to go over a certain number of miles per hour because they put a governor on it, right? It won't go any faster than this. And I feel like there's a governor to how much joy you can get out of any given Christmas present when there's more than five. It really, the thing is, if you got five, like, average to above average presents, that's kind of better than three small things and two giant things. Because the two giant things, you don't know if they're going to be a hit. You spend a ton of money on them. And with stuff like this, and then other things, like my wife got her thing for making um, making hair accessories out of these little felt patterns that she really loved. Hmm. So, 
But it was really cool. I mean, this is really dorky, but she, as soon as like she'd spent an hour with this thing, um, she announced, oh, I think an interim change in plans. She's not going to be a teacher now. She wants to be an engineer now. And she, could I please, could I please get her some engineering videos? I don't know what that means, but it, it made my heart sing. <laughs> it's pretty cool though. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's got a hundred and some, I mean, they're all, they're kind of, there's like, you know, five different crazy space sound setups, but, uh, but I bet, I bet you Cash would enjoy that. He might. I mean, there's, you know, it, it's so tough because you never really know the things that he's going to like and that he's not going to like. And, you know, anything that has to do with like, like he's into the collecting of fossils and rocks and, you know, things that are ancient, like even just old coins. He's into this kind of thing now more than like the traditional toy. Like we got him a remote control car, not an expensive one. I suppose I could find it, put it in the show notes, but it it's, it's one that has these big knobby tires that drives over all kinds of crazy terrain. Like the kind of, like when we were kids, the kind of, re, you know, remote control cars that, that I had, they, they could, you could stack one, maybe two books, like in a staircase. And that's about all they could do. Well, now, it, might get, it might get stuck on the carpeting. Yeah. Like, the ones we had were not very powerful. No, but it, with, uh, with the new stuff that they have, it's pretty amazing. And, you know, he enjoys that, but not as much as I had guessed that he would enjoy it. Whereas, you know, we got them like this thing. It's like coins. You can find this thing on Amazon, but it's like coins from different countries. You know, none of them have any spe- special value or anything. They're, they're just miscellaneous coins. Like here's one from India. Here's one from, you know, Czechoslovakia. Here's one from, uh, from the UK. I mean, whatever. And, uh, and, and there's just random coins in there, but they're all different. He loves this. You know, he wants That's to so cool. read each one and what year they were and he'll, you know, so. What I But as a result of this, we've been having this, I don't know, you know, I think this is very much a back-to-work topic, though, is the organization of all of these little things that he has. And especially, and I posted a few pictures of it to, to Instagram of the system that I came up with to, like, organize because he would have, you know, like, we would go to these, like, they have fossil shows and rock shows and things like that that we can go to. And he'll get, okay, this is, you know, this is a piece of a T-Rex skeleton in a little bag. Now that just kind of goes into another bag, which is in a box, which is on a shelf that he never, you know, can look at. Yeah, right. Totally. So we try to come up with an organizational system for that type of thing. And it's, you know, it, it, it's really cool because these little, the solution that we came up with, and I'll put a, a, a show note, a picture in the show notes. Uh, it's, it's fun, you know, and it looks a little, it's a little too Wes Anderson for my taste, the solution I came up with, but it it really it's got works. a ukulele. It's and got it's a ukulele. Set in, set in Futura. You know, it just I don't. Whenever people put these things up on Instagram, that they look very sort of staged, if you will. Oh God, yes, it's, yes. It has. It's vaguely reminiscent of that. So with apologies, kind of well, magazine thing. Yes, where it's like those are my favorites. I follow a Tumblr that's like that. It's I think it's called Unhappy Hipsters, and it's just pictures <laughs> from those magazines and catalogs of people in white clothes and no shoes sitting right. in a room with nothing in it. Right, and uh, and and they have like I think I said this before. <laughs> I remember it's like oh here's the child's play area, and they have this little probably ten square foot area under the stairs where everything is in perfect organization. Mm-hmm. Like you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, there's, I not, will- there's not a there's not a square inch. Of our house that isn't covered with some project she's abandoned. <laughs> I know, I know. And see, that was the other thing, especially with the Legos. Uh, sorry, Lego toys and blocks where, uh, you know, he'll get like he got my, his uh, his granddad got him the most Eisley Cantina, which has, you know, the little the little cantina area. It's got the place where uh, where uh, Han shoots first. It's oh, got, neat. you know, the, the land speeder. 
And he is not, you know, I've, he doesn't have like a, like a, a, a space where he can set up yet, where he can set up all the different, uh, you know, he's got the medieval one. Now he's got the most likely cantina and like, he doesn't have a place where he could set these up and play with them. So because he knows that his excitement is more like, I want the minifigures out of it and the little vehicles out of it. And like, he won't ever finish building the big part because there isn't a good place for him to do that. So then all the minifigures, he's like, he runs around, he plays with them and does battles, all the different stuff. And they wind up like on the counter in the kitchen, which is terrible. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, you know, what would I, how would I want to organize this if I was a kid so that I could still get to them all? So I went and, and got, you know, they sell these at like the hardware stores or container store, uh, a thing that it's like, if you were, you know, like a handyman or a craftsman in your, oh, in your like garage. Oh, like a tackle box with sections or something? Right, yeah. And yeah. it's, but instead of a tackle box, it's like a, 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 um, it's a vertical thing with little drawers in it. So you can put oh, nice. like, uh, minifigures in there and things like that. And, uh, and he's been using it and that's the part that's like freaking me out. I'm waiting for the wow. other shoe to drop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. She has no interest in, you know, we talked about all last time about the Lego movie and, and like how envious I was of that organizational oh system God, the guy has. Um, because to me, like if you actually do want to make big projects that aren't the kit, you know, it would be nice to have all the little small one nubbin, you know, um, I don't know what you call them, those little dots. It'd be nice to have all those in one thing. But we, we, we've developed a system largely influenced by me, but when we build a creator set in particular, and the creator set we got for Christmas is, mm, it's not beyond her, but she's, she's made every one of them in, in, you know, in a day's time up till now, but this one's really, really big. But we've developed a system, and I've read a little bit about other people talking about this. So what we, I mean, just for what it's worth, it sounds like Cash is not really into building the kits. Not so much. as much as, as I Getting am. Getting the pieces out. Yeah. Well, what we do is, it's kind of dorky, but one thing we start, we put a, a big white beach towel on the floor because we like to do it on the floor. But the thing is, if you do it on the floor, you're going to get the pieces everywhere, oh, yeah. which isn't terrible unless you're making a kit and then you lose it. But this is really dorky. But um, she likes to cut open all the bags. I usually like to cut open the little bags as we need the piece from that. Right. But if you're doing a really big kit, uh, this thing I tried that really helped a lot and it, made, it was still fun. It wasn't, you know, because there's an element of making a puzzle out of it because you got to go find the pieces, but this is so dorky. But so on the big white beach towel, we, I op- empty all the bags and I sort them mostly by color. No, so, that's correct. That's the correct way to do it. If you, if, did you, did you do that? Yeah, no, it, it's either, what I've found is that there's two ways to do it depending on the size and complexity of the kit. It's either one where it's got the bags that are numbered and they, and so like bag number one is everything you need to build whatever is in section one of the instruction book and you don't open them all. You'd open one, you open it all up and then you assemble it and you go to two and assemble it and a three and assemble it. Or if it's yeah, a, most of these are more random than that, right? If it's a less uh, complicated kit or, or a kit that I guess is more straightforward somehow, then it, then they tell you sort it by color. Oh wow! And it, it works. It works. It does work. And the other the other great thing is we have a giant metal mixing bowl. That's usually a mixing bowl, but when it's Lego time, like <clears throat> when we're done playing, all the pieces get scooped into that yeah. and top, and then we can come back later. It's it's a kind of middle solution, but anyway, uh, you know the other thing about presents uh, is that you know even if you've got the big banger and you got the one that you know is going to be the hit on opening, there's not always a guarantee that that's going to be the one that gets played with the most over time. Like with me getting famously getting the Death Star in mm-hmm. 1978, mm-hmm. it was I was excited because I wanted it more than anything in the world, but it wasn't actually that fun to play with. And there were other things that were smaller things that I found myself playing with a lot more over time. 
It's 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 a funny thing. Like she, like I say, she really likes putting stuff together. So if she gets a My Little Pony thing, uh, the Princess Palace, don't ask. She she likes putting that together. That's fun. But um, yeah, uh, um, I you know my my rule of thumb is if there are like things and you collect them into an area, you know, cull them into an area, that's a collection. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of stuff. Right. You know what I mean. But that's that's a parent thing. That's that's a dwell magazine thing more than a kid thing, I think. Well, you know, I like I've seen your personal your private office there. Yeah. And you know, it's it's funny because it's it was way easier for me to organize all this crap that he has and everything from Legos to fossils to you know, pins and rings and spiders embedded in plastic and you know, like all of this stuff. It was like I I can look at it and it's uh, it, it very much a, you know, a beautiful mind kind of a scenario where everything kind of lights up and I can say, oh, this goes here, this goes here, this is the kind of box we need, this is the kind of thing. Easy. Mm-hmm. But like looking at my own office in, in, in here at work, which is not a mess per se, but it, it sure isn't organized the way I want it to be. I'm like, I don't even know where to start with this. I know. You know? Right. And we have more incentive and presumable skills to be able to do it. Right. But you know, the I mean you're a you're a tidy person. So I imagine I suspect it's less of a net problem for you. But the problem is if you're not a tidy person and you're not used to thinking in that way, then you go into this mode that's very different from how you actually live, work, think, and operate, mm-hmm. which is like and this is kind of the problem. We're back to the whole clutter problem at this point. Like if you're a, a, a I don't want to say a hoarder, because I'm trying to avoid saying that because mm-hmm. it's I don't want it's a condition. But like if you're the kind of person who has a lot of stuff and you're not even sure how much of it you want or need. I think your impulse is, I, I call it the plastic box problem, which is like you go, you say, I need to get organized. Mm-hmm. So you go to the container store or Ikea and you buy a bunch of plastic boxes and then you kind of shovel stuff into there and it gets it out of sight, but it's not really organized necessarily in a way to be used. And importantly, and this is a very Peter Walsh kind of thing, you skip the first step. You know, You can't really should never organize anything that you don't really want or need. Mm. And so we tend to skip that step of going like, do I really want or need this? You know, so I, I imagine you're better at that. You seem like you don't get as attached to like <clears throat> stuff and you know, you would probably throw something away. My wife is great at that. She's great. She loves throwing stuff away. I love to throw stuff out. I love to get yeah. rid of stuff. I love to throw it out. I have almost no sentimental. We've talked about this in, in almost a way that, that seems uh, sub, pathological. <laughs> yeah. Pathologically subhuman or something. I don't have any kind of sentimental value or attachment to anything I used to because of my, the way my mom is like, you know, she'll have something that like, Oh, you know, this fell out of your pocket when you were seven. And it was, you know, a little metal key ring that I just saved for, you know, 30 years because it reminded me of that day. Like that's my mom mm-hmm. or like, like I remember being a kid and I'd like want to get rid of a toy and she'd go, Oh, you want to get rid of it? I'm, oh yeah, I guess I shouldn't get rid of it. So I grew up in that mentality of like keeping everything. Oh and, and it was, I mean, like I, it wasn't hoarding level, but it was definitely like what I'm, I brought boxes with me everywhere of just stuff. And, and, and I guess it was after I started my meditation practice, which I started for other reasons, I kind of reevaluated a lot of that and just went nuts and purged so much stuff. And now literally other than clothing, all of the things I considered to be like my possessions could fit into a very, not, it wouldn't even fill a small shoe box. Things that I think of as mine 
Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. It's very, 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 I mean, and it's, that would such a different mindset. It's so different. And I'll, but I'll tell you what, I did make one mistake. Uh, the only regret that I have of all of this is speaking of Legos, I used to have this big Tupperware container of all the Legos, even the original space Legos, the little spacemen and everything in it. And one day my mom had said to me, she's, I guess she was finally realized that I was never going to come and reclaim this crap. And she said, what do you want me to do with like all your Legos? This is mm. pre-child, right? I'm like, no, Pff. you're in that, you're in that phase. This was me with my, my D and D books where yeah. you're like, I don't want that Oof. crap. What am I going to really use that? that? Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like in that case, like, oh, I'm like, I'm 26 years old. Like, what am I going to do with that? <laughs> That's right. And she, and she got I rid of kill for my dungeon master's oh, guy at this point. Well, I sent you that photo of one that they have over at Outlaw Moon uh, here well, next to ABC. You can get them, but they're usually not in very good condition unless they're really costly. And if they're in bad condition, you want it to be because of you and your friends, not because of some other person. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? A lot of dander. Get dander. Um, but yeah, so, so she got rid of all but one spaceman. Like and, a little Benny? Yeah. Uh, the red one. And she she's keeping it. And of course, now my son wants this thing every single time we go to her house. Do you think, Grandma, could I have the the Benny? Could I have him? She's like, no. You ask your father why. Because I had 10 of them, you know, and she got uh, rid of them all. And now she's keeping the one. See? See? It's your fault. It is my fault. There's a, a kind of famous anecdote in my household where, um, you know, my, like I say, my wife, it, you know, she can make a very fast evaluation about whether something has any place in anyone's life. And she's really good at it. And, you know, but, but sometimes I'll see stuff in the trash or in the trash can. And I'll be like, oh, like what? Like, you know, totally at odds with my own idea. And I'd like to return to that book in just a second because I think it's a very good New Year's uh, kind of book. But um, one day... And the trash in the kitchen was a pair of women's shoes. And I I was like, (laughs) these really old, filthy shoes that she didn't wear anymore. And I was like, you're throwing these away? And she's like, they're disgusting. Like, I can't wear those. Why why would I have those in the house? I said, these are the shoes you were wearing when we met. Oh, man. And I sounded pathal. I sounded insane. I sounded complete. And I realized as the words were coming out of my mouth. And and so, you know, can I mention before, just a little quick thing here, that book again. Do you mind? I mean, it's your show, the, the whatever book. you want to do. I don't care. Um, <laughs> yes. Well, it's the end, of the, it's the end it, of the year. I'll put it in the show notes. I, I think I put it in notes already. Oh, you did but, already. Um, and we might, we might have, I think I feel like we did a show about this a million years ago. But I just, I don't know. I, I There's only the two books, really, that I find myself constantly recommending to people. And you can guess the first one is Getting Things Done by David Allen. Because it is so practical. It had such a huge impact. Um on how I think about stuff, you know? And I always know that it's, I don't want to say it's like a Bible to me, but I know that there's so much practical, common sense and and sensible things in that book, not BS, that, you know, if I ever, when things get out of control, I know I can always return to that book and get back on the the horse, so to speak. The other book that I, I always recommend, I recommended it to two different people this week, forgive me if you've heard this before, a book called It's All Too Much by Peter Walsh. Mm. And uh, so you've heard me talk about this, yes? Yes. It's all too much. An easy plan for living a richer life with less stuff. And yes, this is a guy, I think he's an Australian guy from a TV show. But man, this book hit me like a ton of bricks. And, you know, I, I, you can get it, you can think you can get it in Kindle. You can get it, it's 12 bucks on paperback on Amazon. And if you're struggling with clutter, 
And if your solution in the past has been the plastic box solution, mm-hmm. like you, you really need to read this book because you know. In, okay, so, so what makes getting things done so great? Getting things done is great because it does not make any assumptions about the success or failure of your past attempts to get quote unquote get organized. It basically says no. You you got to throw all that stuff away and start with first principles, Clarice. Like let's get back to really basic stuff. You you can't even you don't even know what's on your mind. So no wonder you're confused. And yet you keep relying on these 35 different busted ass systems to try and get nothing done. So getting things done has a very, you know, it's prescriptive, but it works. I mean, if you work the system, it really works. And ditto with it's all too much. It doesn't start by saying buy different size boxes. It starts by saying you should, to the extent possible, not have anything in your life that is not contributing to the life that you would like to have. Which sounds simple, but it's really not. And if you have any of the, like, even if you just go in and read, I think it's like the third chapter of this book, which mm-hmm. is the, all the excuses. If you just read the excuses section, like, that's, that's a great place to start. I'm too stressed like, out to meditate. I'm too stressed out to meditate. Yeah, I'm too exactly. sick to I'm go to the busy. doctor. <laughs> I'm too busy. I'm too sick to go to the doctor. I'm too busy to do getting things done. Right. I couldn't spend two days implementing this because I'm so busy. Uh, well, I'll see you again in 60 days, yeah. you know? Um, that's exactly right. And in this case, it's all the things that I, I you know, however many of these there are in the book, I find myself saying so many of them. I can't throw this away. It's precious or an heirloom. Um, I will have to hang on to this because it's valuable. I have to keep this because somebody in my family might want it someday and so on and so forth. And for every single one of them in a very straightforward like, but non-confrontational way, he says, well, okay, well, if it's valuable, then why aren't you treating it like it's valuable, mm. right? So the classic example to me from the book is like, if you keep every drawing your kid has ever done and just keep getting a new box every time the old one is full, when's the last time you ever went back and looked at any of those? And so one thing of his, he suggested that we did is be okay with throwing a lot of that stuff away, keep your favorites or their favorites and frame it. Wow, now it's valuable. I put a frame around it and it's hanging on our wall. The first time she ever drew a hilarious face on a paper plate, we framed it and put it up because there's this hilarious sad face on a paper plate. So we kept that. But I mean, like if we kept every one of those, every day her backpack comes home stuffed, teeming with, with crap she's done at school. And we don't need to keep all that stuff. Stuff like, is it, I have to keep this... Uh, I have to keep this uh, Yogi Bear glass from Arby's. Well, okay, well, because it's valuable, go on eBay, find out what it's worth. And when you find out that it's worth a quarter, ask yourself, are you keeping that because it's valuable? Or are you keeping it because you feel like you're throwing your childhood away if you get rid of it? Because you know what? You're not really throwing your childhood away. Anyway, I just, I just want to make a case for this book. It's, it sounds like you've heard episodes of Roderick on the Line. You know, a, a recent theme on that show has been John's mini collections yes. and how it's starting to eat into his head like worms. And, and so, you know, I think it's something, it's a secret shame a lot of us have to feel cluttered and disorganized. And in his case, he goes a little, he goes pretty far with it because it's a book. But he talks about like, you know, the life you want to have. Like, why are you keeping pants that are four inches too small in the waist? Well, these are great pants and I pay $50 for them. Someday I'll lose weight and wear these. Mm -hmm. Like, has that happened in the last 10 years? That every single piece of that stuff that you keep in your life is getting in the way of whatever you want to be doing next because you're still trying to live a life you used to have or you're striving, having this this full-time dukkha experience of striving for a life you never actually had. So you keep around that broken amplifier because you never got to be a rock star. Yeah. I mean, but anyway, I, I would just say at this time of year when people are in the mood for a change, a very positive change that can at least get your thinking lined up right, get your get your mind right. It's all too much by Peter Walsh, and there's an audio book too. But as with getting things done, I would recommend starting by reading it. 
Um, it's a really good book. I have a, well, I have a question while we're on this subject of purging and, and getting rid of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that there are three or four shoe boxes of his stuff that are these little tiny things I, that he never looks at, but he's, he's been unwilling to get rid of for a variety of reasons. So I said, we're going to go through them and, you know, we're going to purge through them and you can, you know, keep a couple little things there, but we're going to get rid of all this other stuff. And he had the idea that, uh, that he should receive financial compensation for the things that he gets rid of almost as if oh, we I get this. I get pawning this a lot. them. Do you? Oh gosh, yes. Well, if I get rid of those three boxes, you could give me $25. <laughs> and I said, oh, or I could pay your health insurance again. Right. I said, oh, $20, $25 is the amount. He said, well, I believe that that's what it would be worth. I said, you mean worth if you were to buy it again this new? That's what my daughter calls. As you know, this is what my daughter calls a compromise. Right, right. The 20, yeah, that's it. But, so Let's have I, a compromise. I'll throw this away, but you give me $25. Does that seem reasonable though? Like, have you done it? No, I'm not saying 25, but have you, like, we really want this stuff gone. Like, we, re, I'm, I would give him 25 bucks just to get, to get rid of it. So like, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, it's okay. But then is he being rewarded for keeping the crap in the first place? And like, he's smart enough to think, well, I'll just do that again in another few months. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, um, it's, I think it's weird when you're an older parent with an only child, because at least for me, probably not so much for my wife, because there's a lot of stuff in my daughters. I could just see her, you know, she's staring at like the wolf looking at uh, Porky Pig, you know, shaped like a pork chop or whatever. Like, I yeah. can't wait to get rid of that thing. Um, but, you know, there's, there's one trick that adults can do with their own stuff, but you could do it. It's like, so is that stuff that he interacts with a lot? Almost never. I mean, you know, there's, I'm not going to suggest something that's draconian, but except to say that I have employed a trick that I think I read about on a Martha Stewart webpage that actually really works, which is if you've got a bunch of stuff or some stuff, let's say you've got some stuff where you're pretty sure you don't ever need it again. You're like, you know, you know in your heart you don't really need it, yeah. but you still can't quite part with it. This is an old trick, but it really does work. Okay. Put it in a box, yes. seal it with tape, yes. and write a date on it. Like you write today's date, or in you know the real idea would be write a date six months from now on it and give yourself a reminder for that day six months from now. Send me a reminder about box thirty-seven, and if that date comes up and you have not opened box thirty-seven, don't open it. Throw it away right. with with it sealed. Um, that's extreme, but in some cases that's the kind of thing you need because it's it's hard to contravene the evidence in that case that you know. Remember, it started out as something you were ready to throw away to begin with. It isn't, you know, it isn't like you're on the bubble about it. It didn't go in the save forever box. That was stuff you're on the bubble about. You know, that was old, whatever, you know, worthless comics or something like that that you don't even like. Your Harvey comics or something. Yeah. So then when that date comes, if you haven't opened that tape, throw it away as is. The right. only thing I would say with him is like, try, try hiding it. See if he notices. See, I, I, I that is actually a really good isn't idea, the whole hiding. Mean. That's I mean, no, it's not me. Well, okay. So two, two things, experiences that I had came to mind with this. The first one is my second job out of school. I was a, a system administrator. We had a, a Novell network and we used, um, CC mail. So if this rings a bell for anybody, you know, you're way too old. And I was, you know, running those networks. We had windows for work groups. And I would run around and like, you know, plug in people's mice for them and make sure when Windows crashed, you know, that, uh, you know, you defragment the drive when it rebooted, that, that type of thing. And a little bit of system administration. And uh, we 
had a ton of old equipment. And the, my predecessor in the company had it. He was a bit of a pack rat, I think. But I came into this second job out of school. You know, I hadn't even been working for a year yet. And all of this equipment that I knew was old was just there. And it, it made our server room uh, and my little office room like completely crammed with stuff. And it was terrible. And you could never find anything. And I was kind but I didn't really feel like I had the authority to go through it all and say, oh, this is junk. I need to throw that away. Or this is, this is something I need to save. I didn't even feel like I knew enough about the company or the history of the, the position. Yeah, like if, if the boss wanted something from that box and you couldn't produce it, it's on you. Right. And so I, I just, I remember going through this process and thinking, you know, I'm just going to save it. Well, then um, uh, Ringhofer came down from the, the corporate office. And Ringhofer. Ringhofer. And that, he, he, was, he was one of these guys that you would call today a neckbeard, but super nice guy. And, uh, and he came in and he was he literally like he would brew pots of coffee and the entire trip, he didn't sleep. He just stayed awake working for four or five days, didn't even go to his hotel, always in that room, always in the server room. And so the next morning after his first night there, he come back in the middle of the room is, I, I kid you not, it looked like a bonfire pile of all of the old stuff just in this giant pile. And I'm like, wow, what you doing? He's like, well, this is stuff we're going to get rid of. I said, oh, great, because it would be awesome to clear out some of this stuff, but, you know, you're, it's okay to do this. And he's like, yeah, this is stuff you guys don't seem to have used for six months. And I said, yeah, we haven't used it since I got here. And he's like, you can have whatever you want out of it, and then we'll throw the rest away. And it was this so great. And he's like, by the way, and he explained the system that you were just describing to me. He's like, if you have something you haven't used, put it in the box, seal it up. And if you haven't used it in six months, get rid of it. And of course, this is harder in a bigger company with like inventory management and, um, you know, the things that have depreciating value and all that nonsense. I don't know how he got around that, but just that philosophy of doing it. And we've, we've done that here at, at my little office now where I'll put something in a box and I'll tape it up. And, but how do you avoid the temptation to open the tape? At the time when let me just let me just check through it again yeah. before I get rid of it. I know it's it's difficult, but remember, if it's something that sat in your attic or your garage for three, five, ten years before that, um, it didn't come up then. So see if it comes up in the future. Yeah. But you know, and if you want to keep it, but the point is, like whatever you whatever decision you make about that is still your decision to make about it. It's just that if if you're gonna if you're gonna try and and um, steal yourself to be better about that. Mm-hmm then the solution is not organizing systems. The, the solution is deciding what it is that you can keep. He, he, in the book, he goes, um, he goes far enough to say, like, obviously this is a book from a few years ago, like, if you want to think about how many books and CDs you can keep, go and measure your shelves. If, you know, here's, here's a table, here's a table in the book saying how many CDs and different size books can fit in how many cubic inches of space. Mm. So if you've got this many inches of space, you get to keep this many CDs. And that's really sobering because I think that's that's a really interesting way to approach that. I, I had a really uh, a good pal back in Tallahassee I played in bands with, and he had this one in one out approach in life, where he had whatever five pairs of shoes, and anytime he bought a new pair of shoes, he got rid of an old one, which seems weird, I guess. But there's something very sensible about that. Fine, donate it. You can go. Don- I'm sure somebody wants your old shoes. But like whatever it is, like you know, uh, that is an idea of maintaining a certain kind of equilibrium. And the only people who are going to be capable of doing that 
are those amazing people who are aware of what life they want to have. If you're not sure of what life you want to have, then you're going to really dither on what to do with the stuff in that box. Mm-hmm. That's a sign that you're that something's not right in your bigger worldview in some ways. Because if you knew the stuff in that was precious, would you in a million years keep it sealed in a box? Right. No. If you knew that it was valuable, but you didn't need it, wouldn't you sell it? Yep, you already would have done that. If you knew that it was something your kids really wanted to have, oh, look, it's your ninth tooth. Like, then that, give it to them. But like, put it, I guess part of it is, is having a little unit test that you apply to any of the the kipple in your life to decide Hmm. whether it's worth keeping. Um. We've gone on a while. Would you like to tell me about something you like? Sure, I can tell you about a company called FreshBooks. Speaking of Canada, mm. uh, here's the thing. Most of us, who I think, a lot of people who listen to this show, they are, they are people who are, I would, I would put them in the category of being creative people. I would say that they're, many of them are independent. You know, they're, maybe they work for themselves, they work at companies of all sizes, but in their mind, they're, you know, they're free spirits, I think. When, I mean, wouldn't you say that? Would you think of our listeners that way? I do. I would absolutely assume that, yes. And uh, a lot of us love the idea of, of doing things on our own, of being our own boss, right? But we are always caught up in this, this paperwork thing. You know, we've got to make invoices. We've got to generate things. We've got to send them. And a lot of the time, it's so easy, even in a small business, this is speaking from my own personal experience, it's just so hard to track, keep track of like, how much you've made and how much you're making, how much you're going to make and what people who you've done work for owe you. These are things that sound so simple, but they're really not simple. And being able to look at, uh, at, at something right in front of you on your screen that says, this is how much you're owed. This is how much you've made. Like that's invaluable. Well, FreshBooks is one of the, the most important pieces that, that helps you do this, that lets you do it. Uh, what is it? FreshBooks, it's an easy to use invoicing application. It's a web application and it's designed to help small business owners save time invoicing and getting paid faster. We've talked about this before in the past when they've sponsored, but one of the things that I just love is that when you send an invoice to someone, it shows you via email, it shows you when they've opened it so that it takes the mystery and the uncertainty out of this whole process of wondering to yourself, oh, I wonder if uh, Bill got that invoice I sent last week. Yeah, he did. And he opened it on Wednesday at 4.04 p.m. And uh, and now I know he's seen it. Why? Because it, it, it shows you. You can also even send invoices out to old school people who don't have computers. They can print uh, and mail them for you. I mean, there's a postage cost, but they'll do that. It's so cool. Uh, you can completely customize these invoices. You t- it takes them a couple minutes to do it. Uh, everything is just organized in the system. It's not intimidating. Uh, there's uh, there they have a, an iPhone and Android app to to do this with. It's just great. And if you need help, you can call uh, their support, and they uh, they call them support rock stars because like they can answer any question that you have. Uh, it's just uh, amazing. Love this service. We've been using them long before they were a sponsor, and uh, they've done a study, Merlin that says on average, FreshBooks customers double their revenue in the first 24 months, and uh, you will get paid an average of five days faster. Of course, you can do things like uh, track your team's time, you do multiple rates, all this stuff, but they grow with the business. Here's the deal. I said, Merlin wants 30 days, and they said, okay. Mm. And this is their, their new thing. They will give you a 30-day free trial. And here's the URL to go to, freshbooks.com slash back to work. Spelled out. The link is also in the show notes. Fresh, freshbooks.com slash back to work. You will get 30 days for free. There's a little how'd you hear about us section and you can just put back to work in there. And, uh, and that's it. But you, I, know, I happen to know that you use FreshBooks. 
Love it. Big fan. Big fan. No, you brought me into it, and now I, I never look back. It's the best. Good service. Uh, freshbooks.com slash back to work. Thanks very much to Freshbooks for supporting Back to Work with Merlin Mann. Bok, bok. Uh, I got lots of other fake follow-up, but you had some actual topics. Uh, well, did you look I, at that site? Did you look at that site, Deep Dark Fears? I did look at that site. There was a cartoon right at the very uh, the top of well, it. They're all, well, basically, it's this Tumblr site. I just discovered it today through my Tumblr dashboard. But <laughs> I think it's a, it's a site where people send in their Deep Dark Fear, and then that person <laughs> makes a cartoon of it. And I don't know. For some, <laughs> it's in the show notes, uh, and for some reason, it really <laughs> I found it very affecting. <laughs> It's a good, I mean, it's, it's good. I didn't have time to really dive deep into this thing, but it's, uh, Oh, okay. Here's, it's here's ac- the idea. It seemed I mean, accurate. Like, well, like, have you ever had a crazy thought that had no basis in reality that involved probably some kind of harm involving mystery in your life or mystery in your life involving harm? You know, like when I was a child, I was pathologically terrified of the things in toy stores that they would hang like blister packs on. You know, the little hanging, those rods? That you were, I had a pathological you, fear that someone would push me into that yes. and my eye would be poked out. No, I, ha- I had that fear, but not for myself, but for my kid. Mm. I, w- I so, had nightmares about that. <laughs> and so some of these, let's see, I worry that one day a time traveler will appear in front of me and I won't have time to swerve and I'll never hear their secrets and see a dead time traveler on the road. Oh my God, these are so good. Um, I worry that my life is an illusion. It's all a dream. I worry I'll wake up someday and realize I'm just a very imaginative dog. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great sight. I thought you'd enjoy that. I like that. And, you know, that always makes me think of the whole, are we living in a simulation? Uh, oh, thing. yeah. You know, that. You get your, ca- you get your capgrass on. Mm-hmm. <sighs> that, and then what's the other one there? I forget the name of it. I think uh, capgrass is the one, capgrass is the one where you think everyone's a robot. Capgrass delusion. Delusion. Capgrass delusion. There's one where you think everybody is a robot except you. There's another one where you think that everybody in your life has been replaced by uh, a double or like a life model decoy. Okay. The the Capgrass syndrome or or, uh, delusion is a disorder in which a person holds a delusion that a friend, spouse, parent, or other close family member or pet has been replaced by an identical looking imposter. I used to, I, when I was a kid, I think I was pretty crazy as a kid. I used to, I did occasionally think, let me put it this way. I didn't actually think that I was the, like Truman Show, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't actually think that I was the only real person and everybody else was an actor or a robot. But I did wonder how I would know if that were the case. You get me? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the simulation is either called the simulation hypothesis or the simulation argument. And it, it, it contends that this world that we're in, all, our reality is a simulation, which they usually say a computer simulation, but that we as the uh, simulants mm. are completely unaware of this. And, uh, and, and that, you know, that, that this would explain, it explains many things. So for example, and what, what started me on this recently is I've found that article that you've probably read uh, where it, it, it talks about, man, I think I'm going to have to pull this up because there's a name for this particular thing that talks yeah. about the great filter. And that is uh, we've been listening for alien, uh, you know, intelligence in the universe for, for, you know, I don't know how, how many years now we've had SETI and other things to sort of listening and we hear nothing. We hear nothing at all. But if you look at, 
what we've now discovered as the number of actual worlds that are close enough to Earth to support life in the way that we understand it, that there, there are so many of them in the universe. There are so many chances for there to be life like ours, so many planets and, and places where this could exist, and yet we hear nothing. So there are theories as to why it is that we hear nothing. Is it because, uh, you know, and, and so many of these worlds would be older than ours. So is there some point where intelligent life just seems to destroy itself in some way? Is, is there a reason why, uh, why we're not hearing anything? Is there some great predatory species that prevents life from getting past a certain point? Is it because we're completely uninteresting to them? And the analogy in this article is uh, that, 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 you know, uh, we don't even care about an anthill and trying to explain the internet to an ant is, is meaningless. Are we those ants to these other beings? Are we just simply inconsequential? We're like, we're like slime mold or something. We're something that's really uninteresting and would not be fun to uh, visit. Fermi, Fermi paradox, I believe is what this is called and the great filter. And this is just, you know, this is the kind of stuff I read over Christmas vacation, you know, when I'm oh, sitting yeah. there like, you know, thinking about it. But it's, I don't know how that exactly uh, buttresses into what we've been talking about. But, it, you know, these... It definitely are, goes in the topic of things I shouldn't think too much about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I saw a funny comic the other day, or cartoon or whatever, where somebody said, um, if a time traveler hasn't come back and stopped you from doing something yet, you know your decisions can't be that bad. Oh, I love that. Do you believe in time travel? We've never talked about that. I've never gotten near. I'm super interested in time travel as a as a genre. Um, my favorite my favorite time travel thing I've read in years was the Adventure Time comics from <clears throat> I don't know which issue it started in, probably about third or fourth issue. But they had this long arc about uh, Princess Bubblegum made a time machine, and and Jake was abusing it horribly. And causing all these different timelines, and they come back to different times. And uh, if boy, if you need a place to jump in on Adventure Time, that's I think it might be in Volume Two of the Trades, but uh, that's the one where you know <laughs> Finn gets a cool metal arm, and then they get old and they get young, and it's I'm very very interested in it. I don't understand how it would work. It doesn't seem plausible in real life, but you know the other thing. Do you have you have you read the Adventure Time com- um, comics? Only a few of them early on. I haven't haven't kept up with them. Well. This is good timing. Today, uh, this week, I should say, last week, last Wednesday, was the last issue of uh, Adventure Time written primarily by Ryan North. And, uh, boy, I just can't recommend that highly enough. What, what I'm, I'm killing time right now while I'm adding this to show notes. Ryan North is a very, very smart guy, and he does, has a wonderful TEDx presentation called A Time Traveler's Primer. And it's everything you need to know about if you're ever going to travel in time. It's really, really good. That's all I got to know. I just found something. God, I can't believe Fives is so old. This is a file list of Fives from 2003. Five somewhat novel compulsions I had at one time or another. Number one, a morbid fear of closing a cat in a door. Like every time I walk through a door, I worry there was a cat running behind me for no reason. Number two, uncontrollable counting of patterns of four. Yeah. Uh, three, repeatedly listening to Convoy by C.W. McCall. <laughs> four, the constant sense that I'd forgotten to wear pants. <laughs> And, of course, number five, wondering if I was the only human and everyone else was a robot placed here by God or a scientist. Wow. <laughs> that was a good sight. Yes. Remember, that's when I used to be Merlin Man. You remember that? Yeah, back in the old days. That's oh, what I used to like, use yeah. to help people. You talked into your uh, paper. 
Yeah, I talk in my paper. That's that's all of the uh, the other stuff. Do you want to talk? We um we exchanged links today. Mm-hmm. I got that link from you, mm-hmm. and I um you wanted to talk about multitasking. Well, in yes, in a manner of speaking, I did because you know we there this the first article is at uh, HBR. Org. Um, Dan, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Would you mind telling people in as much as you're able where people could find show notes for this episode oh. uh, 202 of your Back to Work program? Yes, I can do that. It is uh, 5x5.tv slash B as in brothers, 2 as in the number, W as in water, slash 202. That's where you're going to go to see the show notes, the pictures of my son's little... Uh, I want to slap that baby into preview just so people can follow along. Oh, why don't I do that? Does that screw things up still? No. Oh, this is pretty. Oh, this is so Wes Anderson. See what I mean? Are you looking at that? <laughs> it was not intentional, but what I did is so I got, for those of you who are, you know, listening while you're driving and you can't pull over yet to look at the show notes, the, the images that we're talking about, I'm switching this into preview mode right now. Uh, the images we're talking about are of the organizational systems that I came up with for my son's stuff. There's actually, I, I redid a couple of them. So there, it's a little bit more dense, if you will, of items. Yeah, it's the, it's the, it's the uh, undensity of it that makes it particularly Wes anderson Yeah, it's only slightly more dense. The, uh, the essence is still preserved. But uh, these... So the lines are also a little straight. I'd like to see you shoot it more with like a 40 millimeter lens where all the lines are a little curved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just at the edges. <laughs> we, uh, we took these things and we grouped them. But what they are, there is this, uh, at, at the container store, I found it's like a, there are three shelves in this small portable unit and each one slides out. And what I did is I went to Michael's and I got some foam, uh, you know, stuff that you could put at the bottom that would keep these things from moving and uh, as so much and keep them, you know, because they're they're prehistoric, some of them. (laughs) Looked like the horse with the short leg. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, uh, I made these, they set these things up for, I'll look and see because these are really good little things. And I'll I'll take it here to work the minute he stops using it. Uh, But... Uh, so yeah, this this was a neat little, uh, neat little system. But the the article that I had found, I wanted to chat with you about uh, the cost of continuously checking email. This is written by Ron Friedman back in July fourth, and we've talked about this a little bit. But it it talks about this, and it leads in this is Harvard Business Review, and it, it leads into the overall discussion of like multitasking in general, but for those people uh, like I used to, who just you leave your email running all the time, it says, suppose each time you ran low on an item in your kitchen, olive oil, bananas, napkins, your instinctive response was to drop everything and race to the store. How much time would you lose? How much money would you squander on gas? What would happen to your productivity? And we think about the ridiculousness of that. No, you, you make a list and you do it all at, at one time when you go shopping. But we let email kind of rule our, our day in that same way that, you know, that you'll, you'll respond to one email and then you'll think of three other things to do. So you'll start doing those and another email will come in and you'll start responding to that. And you, this happens throughout the whole day and you realize you've got really nothing done, but you've started 18 separate projects to respond to that first email. And uh, it's, it's I, a nightmare. I have to tell you, I think that's a great, that's a great analogy. It's, it really feels spot on to me. Totally. The, the, you know, the grocery list idea. Yeah. You know, we're... Pretty far in, so let's let's restrict it to multitasking because I think that's that's good. The other article that I that I put in notes and sent to you was something I think think via Paris Lemon posted this uh, in search of lost time. Why is everyone so busy? An mm. article in the Economist. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting. Um, 
probably well-traveled roads for a lot of productivity nerds, but very interesting about, you know, just the whole idea of like how we always thought we'd have a lot more time to do stuff and the apparent phenomenon of people as they get um, more free time, as they make more money, they start to think of their time as being more valuable and it's hard for them to do anything but those money-making things and the worrying about those things. And anyway, I thought it was a good article too, but let's talk about multitasking. Yes. Because we haven't talked about that in a while. Um. And you know, the the turns out is, is that uh, a lot of people say that what we think of as multitasking today is a myth, and I'm I, I'm inclined to mostly agree with that because I think when most people think of multitasking, can I jump in here? Yeah, go for it. Um, I mean, so first of all, there's the kind of multitasking that people feel like they have to do, which is in their head they're doing several things. Like, let's think of a somewhat classic maladaptive example of multitasking, which is you're typing something or reading something while someone is type talking to you. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you as the talker are like, um, what are you doing? Like, I, I want to tell you about this thing or we need to talk about this thing. It's like, no, no, keep going. I can do both. I can do both. Or, you know, texting while driving. That's a great example of multitasking. How good are you at that? Well, <laughs> you eventually won't because you'll be dead. Uh, there's that kind of multitasking, but I think that with, there's a certain kind of multitasking where people feel like, I have to do this this way. I've got to do what feels like two things at once. But the truth is, and I, I'm not a scientist, but my impression is that you can't ever actually do more than one thing at one time. It's a question of how quickly you can shift focus between two things. And unfortunately for most of us, thinking that we're great at multitasking mostly just leaves people with the impression that we don't care about anything we're doing at a given time because it's not worth just focusing on. But there's another use of multitasking I think is worth mentioning, which is more, think about cooking. And I've used this example before, but I think it's a good example. Um, you, you know, Think of it more as parallel processes. So you could be defrosting ground beef. Right. And while that's, you know, sitting there or in the microwave or whatever, you can go over and start boiling water. And that water can start boiling. While the, while the hamburger is defrosting, while the water is starting to boil, you can now go over and whatever, chop onions or right. garlic. Right? That is the, I don't, I don't know if you, most people would not call that multitasking, I guess, but that's to me the only kind of real multitasking you can do, which is while this process is doing something over here, I'll go and do something else. What I will say is if you're going to get into that racket, nobody believes me until they believe me on this, but get into timers. Like, if you, like, <laughs> you really, I, one thing I use Siri for, that I think everybody can use Siri for, is, is timers. It just, just say, Siri, set a timer for six minutes, just so you don't forget that thing that was working over there. And, I, I, and to me, that's a totally legitimate way to think of like how multitasking, multitasking can be a thing. It's one thing to send an email to somebody and wait for them to respond and go do something else. You don't have to sit and wait while you're waiting for them to respond. But I would not try to, I would not plan to be doing great email in a meeting where you're supposed to be participating or while you're supposed to be playing with your kid because that's just not how it works. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally does. The ability to, you know, but it, see, go just going back to your defrosting the, the meat and cutting the, chopping the onion or whatever. To me, it's like there is a process that's called defrosting that you do, basically you do two things. You set it up and then you take it out, you know, and, and then there's a 15 minute time period where you don't, you don't have to do anything. And that's so different from the way that we work. But I find that, that there is something that's, uh, and, and I'm not happy to say this, but there's something that's almost addictive or luring about the multitasking constant influx of information type mode that 
we find ourselves in where, you know, when, especially if you're working in like that, it's kind of an office scenario or situation where you're like, well, this thing, I'm waiting for a response from this email, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to look at this code. I'm going to check this website. And, oh, I wanted to see if this shipment came in yet. And I got to text my friend to see if we're getting together tonight. And all these things just kind of run into each other so that when you're sitting at home in the afternoon, you think to yourself, well, you know, my spouse is telling me something, but like I could look at Twitter at the same time. I mean, I'm right. You know, it's like your brain, your brain kind of can't stop wanting to process. It, it misses that stimulation. Right. It's the stimulation that we get hooked on because if, if we didn't like doing that, we wouldn't be doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like tell, look, here's a great comparison. A lot of people complain that they can't ever get into an exercise routine or a workout schedule or something like that. And that's because for most humans, working out, feeling the burn, whatever, like it hurts, you know, like go out and jog right now. Just whether you've done it or not in a year, go out and jog it and sprint as fast as you can for as long as you can. That will hurt you. You will feel pain. Some people, you know, love that. Some people don't like it so much, right? But Mm -hmm. like if, if that kind of exercise felt good to the majority of people, You wouldn't have a problem with people saying, wow, I'm not as in shape as I want to be on. It's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to get in shape this year. Well, no, like people don't want to do that. It's easier to like sit and eat pizza than it is to, you know, go jogging or go work out or go lift weights or do yoga. Of course, there are amazing benefits that you also feel. You feel the positive endorphins. You feel the wonderful relaxation after that. But it's very easy to like turn on TV and have your second screen on your lap and be looking at that. And now we've got watches that show us stuff. And it's like all of these things that lead to this constant sort of stimulation. But for some reason, we like it. We like that. You know, we like the watch and the phone and the thing on the screen and the person talking to us. We like the Twitter. There's 30 people you know, replied to that tweet that I made. And then this blog post is getting this many comments and I Instagram has this many likes. And on Facebook, this person liked the thing. We like that while we're watching TV and eating dinner and talking to our spouse. Why? Uh, I, I think I, well, I, I think, hmm, boy, I got a, I got a lot to say on this, but I'll try to keep it simple. No, no, but I think you're right. But one thing to mention in passing that we probably should talk about maybe more is, uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's idea of flow. Um, and so you can go, uh, we'll see if we can put that in show notes. But I, I have uh, this diagram over my desk that's been here since I moved into my office that I, that I like to look at because it helps me remember what flow is. And we all know what flow is. Flow is when you don't even notice that you're quote-unquote multitasking. You're not thinking about time. All you know is that you're getting a lot of stuff accomplished and you feel both what he describes as a high level of challenge and a high level of skill. If you're doing something at which you are both highly challenged and highly skilled, you get really absorbed in it. So on the one hand, that could mean, hey, this day of the week, that's not, that, that crossword puzzle is my jam. Like That's the one that where it's just hard enough to be really, really fun for me. Yeah. Like If you do like the kid jumble, that's not really that hard for you. So it might be relaxing to do, but it's not fun because it's not challenging. Um, so do, do you get that? I mean, listeners, that there's a, there's this, imagine this uh, X and Y axis where the Y axis is a level of challenge and the X axis is the level of skill. So if you're doing something where you're highly, and I'm just reading off this chart now, if you're highly skilled at something and you're highly challenged, you, will, you can, can accomplish flow. 
because that means that like you're totally engaged in what you're doing, and that's why where you know you may not even think of it in terms of multitasking. You just you know what needs to be done. You can see without knowing what you need to do next, and you get absorbed in it. At the opposite end, where you have a low level of challenge and a low level of skill, that's where you have apathy. Because if somebody just handed me a workbook full of advanced calculus. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, no, let me put that differently. Because, yeah, because I, I have a low level of, well, oh, I'm sorry. So a high level of challenge, low level of skill means anxiety. Low level of challenge, low level of skill is apathy. Now, here's, here's an interesting one. If you've got a high level of skill and a low level of challenge, guess what that's called? So high, high skill, low challenge, that's called relaxation. <laughs> okay? So think about this. Why is it? And this, this gets me to a point I was going to make before you brought up this excellent point, which was when people talk about multitasking, uh, think about two very large, very different, I think, classifications of multitasking. Because when we use that one word to mean all these different things, we're getting away for, from some important ideas. People who tend to think that they're really good at multitasking, I'm going to postulate, um, are mostly in opportun- or mostly in situations where they control what they're multitasking about. Right. So, it, for example, like I can watch Die Hard and tweet about it while I'm installing a modem and my right. level of everything is fine because mm-hmm. I'm waiting for, you know, I'm waiting for this thing to happen. I'm waiting for this other thing to happen. I'm over here. I'm not on Twitter that whole time. I'm not staring at the screen with Die Hard the whole time. And I'm not waiting for the Comcast activation page the whole time. <laughs> I can move between those. And that is, that is, that is very fun. But then think about the other kind of multitasking. Think about your first day at work as a waiter where all the multitasking you're doing. I mean, let's start with this one idea. Why are you multitasking to begin with? You're mo- mo- in a, most situations, in stressful situations anyway, you're multitasking because there's more things that have to be done in a given time than can be done well in okay, sequence. Okay, so it comes, it comes down to a time crunch, essentially. A, a time and, and to an extent, extent skill crunch. Because mm. like once you get great at pouring coffee and serving it, you will do that faster. But still, I mean, if you're a waiter, you're going to be a little bit stressed out, or as we say, in the weeds a lot of the time, but especially when you're not that great at it yet. And you just, you feel like, you know, you're like Lucy, you know, in the candy factory <laughs> yeah. with all the stuff going by. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I think it's really important to distinguish the kind of multitasking where you have control over what your, where your attention goes mostly versus the kind of multitasking where you're overwhelmed by what the world is demanding of you. Because, you know, I think that second kind is not very fun. And when you say you're good at multitasking, in that case, that's purely a case of you are good at changing context quickly. You're good at, you know, you've got a, you've got a, a great clutch, I think. But, but the reason I, I, another reason I make that distinction is, and I've said this before, that, you know, <laughs> multitasking is like, is like driving and French kissing. Like, before you decide that you're great at it, like, start asking around. Because you may not be as great at multitasking to others as you think you are. You may just seem careless to people. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're doing something that you could be doing at another time while you're supposed to be paying attention to them, that's not going to come across well. And it's not going to create great work. But as far as like why we want it, I, I think you're right. I think it's the stimulation. I think it's, it's nice to feel like you can move to these other things at your own will. And think about like just what it means to putter around the house. Like a night where you got a day off and you got some stuff you kind of need to do. You know, like I want to fix this drip in our uh, bathroom sink. So, oh, I realize oh, I got to go Google that and I'll look at that. That's easy. That's easy. While I'm doing that, I'll do this. While I'm doing that, oh, and while I'm going downstairs to the garage, I'll take out the trash. That's a kind of easy, you know, um, 
relaxing kind of situation because there's no stress. It isn't like well, there's water pouring out of the sink while I'm trying to tweet about it. You know what I mean? Well, it, but I, I still, when I think about when, what you just said, why is it that we like this? Because people always talk about it in, in these studies that they do, in the articles that I read, they always say, oh, multitasking is so bad for you. Our brains weren't meant to think this way. We were supposed to wake up when the sun came up and go to sleep when it got dark and wake up in the middle of the night and eat a sandwich. You know what I, you know, all these things we talk about, about the, the circadian rhythms and how we're supposed to have these, we're supposed to live in a much more natural world where we're walking barefoot. And, you know, all of these things that, why is it that we like these things so much? Why is it that we gravitate toward this kind of, of stimulation. Why is it that this kind of stimulation is so, for lack of a better word, addictive or appealing? Um, that's the part because try, if you can, you know, to like not use your second screen at all for an entire evening. Sometimes people will say, oh, it was so great. You know, like I didn't bring my phone with me on my vacation. I completely unplugged and it was yeah. this wonderful experience. And and, you know, and it is, and then you come back and you get right back into it. Um, I don't know. It's just, there is this allure, there is this appeal to it. And that's the part that's almost a little, because I see that in myself, like how much I like it. Like I'm always, right. you know, have the phone there. And it's like, it, it's, it's weird because if I had, if I, if 10 year ago self, pre iPhone self, Looking at myself now, I would say, well, yeah, I want one of those phones right now. It's not like I'd look at it and be appalled. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I can look back at my 25 year old self and be like, yeah, give me the iPhone now. I want it. It's yeah, not yeah, like, yeah. you know, it's not like, oh God, I look at what I've become. It's like, no, I want to become that now. How do I do that at 25? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like I totally agree. But I also know that it's bad somehow. Like, why is it bad? But it well, is. <laughs> it, it reminds me. Uh, I don't. I don't know a tremendous amount about the chemi- chemistry and electronics of ADHD. But one part I do understand is that when you have ADHD, it's a dopamine problem. Yeah. In that you're getting you know too much or usually too little stimulation. To you're not generating enough dopamine, and so you try to emulate it through all these other things like drinking lots of uh, coffee. Or right. something that stimulates you, because and again, I'm not I'm not a scientist, but like I think what's interesting is like if people who have ADHD do all these weird self medication things, for some people they can't write unless they're listening to really loud raucous music. It's like there has to be something eating up some of the cycles of their brain in order to quote unquote relax enough to mm-hmm. just focus on writing. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying everybody, but I think that's not so different even for healthy non ADHD people because. You know that if you're a little bit stressed out at work, at least you're tuned in. Like if you are not, if you like your if your phone and your email weren't buzzing at all at work, you'd wonder what's wrong. You start to feel kind of left out. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that when you achieve this baseline amount of like beep 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 going on, that's strangely comforting to some people. You know, it's the same way that we like these sites where we can kind of check in with people and, you know, have little visits. Mm-hmm. People like things like Slack. They like Twitter. But, you know, that little bit of checking in reminds you that there's still other stuff going on. As far as why we like it, I don't know. It's, it is it is the stimulation and it's the novelty, the newness. You know, I think that in itself, regardless of whether it's good news, bad news or otherwise, can be kind of addictive. You just want something different, you know? Right. Yeah. But, 
but it's, like you get you get used to the stimulation, and then when it's not there, it, for a lot of people, they miss it, even though there might be positive reinforcement to you know that that is a contraindicator for going back to it. We go back to it anyway. Well, and yeah, and to get back to the chick set me high flow stuff is, you know, it's, you know, are you creating more light or heat? Like if you're mostly just tip, tip, tapping around and flipping through emails and going to this and changing tabs and doing all this stuff. I mean, it's my thesis that a lot of the things that are most, if you like distracting for us are things that take, and this is, you know, I think one reason video games Mm -hmm. are so enjoyable. Any, any task that requires small decisions and small little physical movements, I think can be very addictive, you know, and that's why, you know, it just seems like every time I I look at anybody these days, they're playing like a candy crush kind of game or a threes kind of game, little decisions, little motions, little decisions, little motions. And if you think about if you spend two hours a day doing that, even just two hours a day, when you're not doing that, your brain's going to be going like, where's the stimulation? Like what's going on? What are we doing here? Mm Mm-hmm. So I, I think that is I think that is kind of addictive. It's just that, like I say, if we look at this in Csikszentmihalyi's uh, terms, or some of his other ones, if you have a high level of challenge but a medium level of skill, mm-hmm. you get arousal. Like, oh, this is fun. I, like, I'm feeling very like I'm not. I could be better at this, but I'm trying to. That to me is like a video game. Right. That's what I was, exactly what I was thinking. If you're playing one of those uh, flappy road bird games <laughs> or something, or, or golf man, like you're, you're you're going, oh my gosh, this is really hard. I'm totally engaged in this, but you know. Like I say, you get, uh, well, here's a great one. Uh, medium level of challenge, medium level of challenge, low level of skill. That's where you get worry. Because <laughs> you're, that's, you know, I guess why am I saying this? Because I think there's the things we understand and know that are familiar. Mm. Like we know how to go check our email. We know how to screw around on Twitter. Like we know how to do those kinds of things. And even though that may not be generating, um, a lot of productive stuff. It's very familiar. The idea, and I know, but like the idea of like having to stop all of that to do something that is very complex and very unplanned, you know, something unstructured. Like it's the reason why we don't sit down and write our novels mm-hmm. is because we, you know, we know that that's, that's going to be hard. That's going to be challenging. We haven't done it yet and we don't get any reward uh, from trying to get good at that at first. It's, it's mostly just frustrating and difficult. It's why it's, you know, it's hard to start cleaning out the garage. That's why you procrastinate because there's a part of you that goes, I'm not done thinking about this yet. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. that, it's that, you know, because like they, whenever you think about and writing, I think is the perfect example. It, 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 when you start to think it through, there's that little thing. That's, well, that sounds kind of hard. You know, whereas checking Twitter sounds kind of fun and immediately gratifying and rewarding, uh, unless there's a flame war starting, you know, that like you, you feel like you can, yeah, you, you know, but, but I think there's a different, there's a different kind of mentality of, you know, the idea that people, human beings, real life human beings used to sit down with a pen and paper or maybe a typewriter in a, a room where there was just like maybe a candle and they would spend hours just sort of writing things. And that some of our best literature, some of our best research, some of our best and most entertaining uh, things and long-lasting things came from just that kind of a scenario. You know, when you think of the great masterworks of literature or, you know, paintings that we have, things like that, those all came about 
usually from a person sitting alone in a room, which was not, it was not that they were creating for themselves a distraction free environment. It was just the way things were. They were distraction free. They didn't have to install special software that took up the whole screen so that they could be free of distraction. It just, there was a room, there was a pen and there was some paper and that was their environment because it was night nothing was going on you know when the mm-hmm. sun went down nothing was going on anymore people were at home for 12 hours and then you didn't have to th- even think about doing anything again until the sun was up in the sky and you had to go take care of the uh, the farm animals or whatever it was they were doing right. you know th- whereas now and boy, have you talked about this in, in a lot of great ways that the damage that uh, staring into the blue screens do to us, the, the light doesn't turn off when the sun goes down. We, if anything, get more stimulation during those times. We've completely whacked out our brains uh, and we've trained yeah. them to want this kind of thing. But there's there's also, I mean, this is, you know, where you get down to these kind of lower level karma suck kind of things. Uh, you know, if, if you if you know in your heart and in your head, if you know intensely what needs to be taken care of right now, these things are never a problem. So, you know, if the house is on fire, as an extreme example, or if the kid is bleeding on the ground, or if the sink is exploding in a, in a bunch of water, you don't find yourself distracted by Twitter because you know there's a thing that needs to be done right now. The problem is there are not that many things that, in a knowledge work kind of job, there are not that many things that ever achieve that level of clarity and we kind right. of want that, though. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing as, like, again, having ADHD. You kind of want something that makes you have to do something because it, it's the thing that'll finally get you off the uh, get your butt off the chair. But you know, it's when this is not a uh, it's not a happy message, but hopefully, it's a slightly encouraging message. Is just just remember that you know you don't have to set an alarm to remember to masturbate. <laughs> like you do that fine. You don't need an alarm to remember to check Facebook. You don't need an alarm to remember to play flappy golf or whatever. Not that any of that is bad. It's just that when we talk about things as being distractions, I think we should always remember that distractions are what we ever allow to distract us. If you know intensely what it is that you want to be doing, nothing will distract you. Right. You'll find you'll find time. You don't need an alarm. You will go and make that happen. So I think it's worth at least remembering that if you're getting stressed out by things like multitasking, that might come from a certain lack of clarity or from a certain lack of confidence. You may not have the clarity about what really needs to be done right now, or maybe even more often, you may not have the confidence to stop doing everything else and just do that one thing. Because when you do that, that that takes a lot of courage. Mm-hmm. But when you do that, that's when you make something really amazing, you know. And you know, you're, you're, it's true. Maybe people used to write by candlelight and they didn't have that much else to do. There wasn't ye oldie Facebook. But you know, but there's always <laughs> been plenty to do in life. It's just a question of deciding what it is you're going to do. And, and I say that as somebody who struggles with it 24 hours a day. But you know, um, would you tell me about something you like? Sure, can I would like to tell you about Linda. You know what they they are uh, in in this uh, read that I have here. They are challenging our listeners. They're saying, you know what, challenge yourself to learn something new in 2015. We always talk about resolutions. Do you do one? Do you not do one? I always feel like the end of the year, beginning of a new one, is a neat time to kind of just whether you're making a resolution or not, sort of take stock of what it is you do and what it is that you want to be doing. Uh, 
do you have the skills to do the things that you want to do? Well, Linda is a great place to start building those new skills or to refine and advance the skills that, that you have. And let me tell you what Linda does. Basically, they have thousands and thousands and thousands of really great video courses that teach you how to do things, what kind of things. It could be getting things done. David Allen actually like does his videos on Linda about GTD. Uh, if you want to learn how to, you know what? This is the year you're going to start your first podcast, but you want to learn like, how do I record and edit? Well, there are courses about that. You want to be a Rails developer, like go there and learn these courses. But so many other things, even the basic stuff that we consider like part of working in an office, like how to use Microsoft Office, how to use Google Docs, that type of stuff. Photoshop, you want to be, you know, graphic design, you want to make your first logo. All of this stuff, there are great video courses that are broken down by topic. They're broken down even further by the level, intermediate, beginner, advanced. There are also little just topics where you can jump in and watch something for five or 10 minutes and like, oh, that's how to do that one thing that I wanted to learn how to do in Final Cut Pro. It's all there. And, uh, and boy, I'll tell you what, they have so, so many courses that it takes a while to really absorb all of this. So what they've done is instead of having you go in and you just buy one course or buy one thing, you get a monthly subscription and you get access to everything that they have, every single video. You can start and stop them if you've got, if you're a premium member and you have like uh, an iOS or an Android device, you can download them and watch them offline while you're on a plane, while you're on vacation, while you're trying to get into that distraction-free mode. Uh, you could do that. 10-day um, trial is what they have. And it's a special URL, Linda, which is spelled L-Y-N-D-A, lynda.com slash back to work. And you go and you get this 10-day free trial where you can have unlimited access to every single one of their courses, all of the tutorials you can watch on your tablet. I mean, they're adding stuff all the time. And, uh, you know, I mean, they even have things like setting up your mobile office, you know, speeding up your Mac, like all of these things that you want to learn about. They're all there. So uh, again, this is the offer you go to lynda.com slash back to work and uh, you get the 10 day free trial. Imagine what you could learn in those 10 days and uh, challenge yourself, learn something new in 2015. Thanks very much to, uh, to Linda for supporting uh, Merlin Mann and his, uh, his show back to work. Oh, thank you so much, Linda. Thank you, Dan. I'm trying to find this adventure time. I can find the single issue it starts with. I know it's in a trade somewhere, but uh, do yourself a favor, go buy adventure time number six. That's the beginning of the time travel. You can get it on Comixology. I put it in notes. Uh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, you know me in the uh, in the New Year's resolutions. You you are a big fan of making lots and lots of New Year's resolutions every year. Yes, and uh, I think you should <laughs> probably commit to doing more than you've ever conceived of doing at something you've never attempted. If you can do that on four or five different things, I think that can't help but turn out well. Right. Simultaneous really, new resolutions, contraindicating. That contraindicating, reach, grasp, not a, <laughs> not a problem. Really, really push it. Yeah. You know, there's um, this will come out uh, today, I imagine, Tuesday the 30th. Here's my only real piece of advice here. Well, read that Peter Walsh book. It's pretty good. Buy that Adventure Time comic. It's pretty good. But, um, you know, here's a crazy idea. Like, if you've got a New Year's resolution, I wish I'd said this last week instead of today. There's two days left in the year. So if you've got a resolution that you care a lot about in 2015, one really small thing you can do, if it's possible, if it's a thing that can be done, try doing it a little bit today before the new year. I know that sounds weird, but like, 
there is there are very few great things that have happened in life because the calendar changed. Mm. Like all horses get one year older and we procrastinate more. <laughs> like if there's something you really care about doing, like maybe try and do it a little bit today. Make a make a call, you know, take a box off a shelf. You know, um, do, just do something that's a step in that direction. If you've been planning to run, go check your sh- your running shoes and make sure that everything's good to go. Charge up your uh, your your dingus for running, or you know what I mean. Whatever it is you're planning to do, if you're planning to eat better, maybe go out and do some grocery shopping today, so you're really really ready. All I would say is like, you know, it's there's a reason to be sort of circumspect about these things where we're counting on a date to make a change in our life because the date ain't gonna change crap. It's just it's gonna be all on you. And if you have lots of resolutions that don't end up happening year after year, that's really discouraging, you know. And if you're if you haven't succeeded at resolutions in previous years, like what's going to make this year different? That's not pessimism. That's just being honest. It's just a matter of counting more on your will and your desire uh, than just having a calendar change. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's completely arbitrary. This is what you're saying. It's a date. It's a date. It's no more than saying, you know what, um, next Wednesday um, is when I'm going to decide I need to lose five pounds. Next Wednesday. I'm not going to do it today, not tomorrow. Next Wednesday, that's the special day that I need to start on my you know, weight loss program. Right. And it doesn't, and, why next Wednesday? Well, other yeah. people are doing it then and it's the first uh, of, you know, but no, it like it doesn't, that doesn't really matter. And, and, and it's giving a false excuse. And I don't think the false excuses work for people, they don't work for me anyway. Like just right. because it's the new year, you know, yeah, the new year's Eve is like a ch- an excuse to have a, a fun party, get together with friends and things like that. It's a holiday, that type of thing. Yeah. But you know, why, why wait for that? This organizational system with my kid, uh, I did it because I had some time off to do it. That was the only reason I waited until. Well, and you've, you've, you've thought it through. So, I mean, like, that's why to me that the second important part I mean, the, the first important part of it, whatever you resolve to do, is what I'm going to call deciding. Let's mm. leave that aside for a second. And then the second part is, is the performance of that. It's, but that requires infrastructure. That so much of, I've said this, I think we did a previous show about this, probably the same time last year. Um, is that you don't have the infrastructure in place to do what you're going to do. You haven't committed to doing that enough to have done stuff like buy, buy the groceries you need to be ready on day one. Right. So when you get to midday and you're hungover on New Year's Day, you're, you're not going to be pulling out the kale. You're going to, because you don't, you didn't buy kale. You're going to be, you're going to be eating whatever's sitting there that has made you fat in the past. This, the infrastructure part is, I don't know. I see these things as so intertwined. There's the deciding and the implement, uh, the, the, sorry, the deciding and the, Ah, choosing is part one. And then the second part is the infrastructure and the implementation. And those are very heavily locked together. And I'll tell you why. Like there's, there's a distinction. I, I never have time to make this graphic for, for talks I do, but there's always a thing I want to try to illustrate, which is, I'll probably get this backwards, but the difference between like selecting and choosing, I think that's so important. When people talk about priorities and all this kind of stuff, I think it's really important to distinguish between selecting and choosing. So imagine you're on a web page with a form. And it says, you know, what would you like for dinner? And you see 14 check boxes, <laughs> right? Yeah. To me, that is selecting. You could select all of those, I guess, and have 14 dinners, although that's not really practical. The difference is choosing is a radio button title. Choosing is when you say, not only do I select this one thing, but 
more importantly, I choose it to the exclusion of other things. You can't click two radio buttons. And that's whenever you decide to do something, ask yourself whether you're selecting from an endless number of dumb things that don't really matter anyway, or choosing from an incredibly difficult small array of things. Because once you've chosen that thing and you don't get to go back, it's all on you to implement it. And that's why you need the infrastructure. You need to have chosen something that you care about enough to not do other things. And then you need to not trust your, your stupid brain by going out and like doing whatever needs to be done to make sure that you can do that. If you So the classic examples, again, the food. Go shop for the, go, and this kind of feeds into the Peter Walsh stuff too. Don't, you know, try shopping for the life you'd like to have instead of the one that you've got. Try, if you're trying to figure out when you can run, guess what? You might need to call a babysitter. You might need to get up earlier. Well, how do you account for that? So if you need to get up earlier to run, did you account for that in what you did the night before? Well, then you're not ready. You have no reason to ever finish a resolution if you haven't thought that stuff through. Mm-hmm. The first time it happens, you go, oh, okay, whatever. Second time it happens, eh. Third time, it won't be a third time because you're not even going to try anymore. The infrastructure wasn't there and you never really chose. You just selected and then you said, whatever. So, you know, I don't care one way or another if you make a New Year's resolution, but if it means anything to you, make sure that you're choosing, not just selecting. And then once you've chosen, understand what you're not going to do and then understand what you are absolutely going to do, what you're going to change in order to make sure that that thing happens. Boom, mic drop, year, done. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's this up. I love you. Love you too, Merlin, man. Happy New Year. Bark, bark. <laughs>